0: Today we are in, of course, the Book of Esther, and and we're going to conclude the, the Book of Esther today. It, it's sort of quite a few chapters, but it flows on very quickly. It, it's it's sort of a it, it's it's essentially a, a narration of what's going on, uh, and it's a bit like opening the window of life into the life of some other some other folks at another time and another place. But it has application for today. And so I'll start with this question: Have you ever sort of been left hanging in the breeze, wondering, and concerned? what is about to unfold you've probably all experienced that in different ways i can think of experiencing that in numerous ways Uh, when i was a young fella uh, going to school and when i was asked to report to the principal's office especially if it was the next day because i'd have all night to think what what you know terrible things will befall me how am i going to be? Uh, you know beaten and uh, abused and you know psychologically damaged and all that sort of thing (laughs) no I'm just a tongue-in-cheek on that one really but um, you know you're kind of naturally concerned aren't you You, you're sort of worried about what is in store Uh, fortunately most of those um, times were actually something good but I didn't know that at the time I thought it would be bad because being summoned to the principal's office always sort of somehow related to something negative and something bad and something tragic is about to happen but that was never really the case but we sort of left off last week where the whole Jewish nation were in this state of what's about to unfold. You see their very lives were hanging in the balance in fact the the death sentence had been pronounced upon them and these events of Esther took place after the Jews returned from the land uh, of of Babylon uh, but before the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem and between that time they had come back to the land, remember, they'd, they'd rebuilt the temple, they'd rebuilt some of the houses, they were living in the land and, and doing all the stuff that they could do as, as, uh, with a degree of freedom that they hadn't known when they were slaves or under, under bondage back there in, um, in, in, in Babylon. So this was a time when things were progressing. They were going forward. They were no longer... Uh, under the, 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 you know, no longer slaves in Babylon. It was the beginning of a new life. Back in the land, things were looking good. And then sort of, wham! The news comes out that in a few months' time, they were all to be executed. If you're a Jew, you're going to be wiped out. Can you imagine getting that information dropped into your letterbox or inbox or whatever it is that gets to you? this death sentence. And as I was thinking about that, I was reminded how often when things are finally starting to come right, do you sort of get torpedoed from another direction? (laughs) Sort of finally we're sort of getting this thing together and then bang, from somewhere else, uh, we're sort of run over. Sometimes it feels like a a, a, a roller, a steamroller, a steam engine, anything that's big and heavy has just crushed us. And how do you feel when those things happen? You can kind of feel a bit deflated. You can feel, well, what's the point? You know, we we want to just give our hand, put our hands up and and, and surrender now, or e- even worse. And and you know, that's how every Jew living in Persia would have been feeling as we left them last week. It, not only is thing, are things bad, but things are actually coming to an end. We're, we've got the death sentence. How many people were packing their bags and thinking, we'll, we'll, we'll try and sneak out of a out of the country or go somewhere else and so that's where we left off the whole nation has been given a death sentence if you are jewish you know we have this kind of term that's been used over over centuries of ethnic cleansing a terrible term for wiping out certain ethnic groups well here's one here here was, was this guy, Haman, had managed to get this over the line where there was just going to be this... He probably thought of, of ethnic cleansing. We're going to get rid of all the Jews. You know, we've kind of heard that story before, haven't we? A fellow with a funny-looking moustache tried to pull that one off once before. Anyway, we get to chapter 7. Now let's turn to ch- chapter 7 in Esther. And we left not only those... The whole nation but three people in particular in a concerned state last week of course there was Haman uh, the the, the big movers and shakers in this particular time of course is the king but then there's Haman there's Esther and there's Mordecai but Haman remember you know he (laughs) he'd had to parade Mordecai through the town saying how great he is and this really grated on him didn't it because he he was he just hated Haman he just hated Mordecai and 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 so when he got back and 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 uh, spoke about how all this had happened his wife said hey you know, if he's a Jew, things aren't going to go very well for you. And while all this was going on, he, the, the, the taxi arrived, said, Hey, come on, we're off to the, to the, to the second banquet that the Queen had, had put on. I'm sure the ride to the palace uh, and to the banquet on that day was very somber. As he's got this message that, wow, what's about to happen? You know, and, and uh, he got no idea, but he's worried. We have Esther. Now, Address, uh, addressing the king went well, but she still has to broach the subject. It's still the subject of what she really wants to get to. And so she's had a, uh, a, a, a banquet, and now she's got the next one, uh, but still hasn't presented the real heart of the issue. So now, no doubt she's concerned, and of course, then there's Mordecai. Here's, it's interesting. Since Mordecai requested to, to Esther to speak to the king... And 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 talk, inform the king of what's going on. This, this death sentence that's been passed to all Jews, including her, including Esther. Now, since this message has gone forward, since Esther has got involved, things have gone wor- from bad to worse. Because now. Not only is the death sentence everywhere, which was what, what brought whole, the whole thing about to start with, but now for him personally, there were some gallows being built for him down in Haman's place with his name on them. So things were bad for each one in this particular instance. And so that uh, we arrive at chapter 7 and we read this, So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther, and on the second day... At the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition? Queen Esther, and it shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Up to the half of the kingdom, and it shall be done. The queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated, had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would, not have, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. And so Esther, even when she finally made her request, she's showing great tact, isn't she? So here is the crux of the matter. We've been all given a death sentence, is what she's saying. And she's saying, but, you know, if it was just the fact that we're going to be made into slaves and, and, and servants or whatever, I, I wouldn't have said anything. Um, but we're going to be wiped out she didn't immediately identify herself though as a Jew targeted for massacre even as Haman also hid the identity of the group he targeted when he made this request uh, back there in chapter 3 Esther showed certainly wisdom in how she framed her request she appealed on a personal basis knowing that she had never done anything but please the king you know she was coming at that line and the king, whose name is Ahasuerus, verse 5, answered and said to the queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he, who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? So he immediately caught on to this and said, hey, this isn't right. Who was this guy, you know? Ahasuerus perhaps should have known that it was actually he himself that had signed the, the document. He's the one who authorised this plan. He was the one who gave... Uh, the the go-ahead for Haman to carry out this plot It was spoken of back in chapter 3 though he did it in a degree of ignorance not fully realising the impact or thoroughly investigating the situation he did what is so often repeated he received some information from a biased source and he came to an ill-informed conclusion and he was manipulated by various things like pride and by reward. You see, he'd been told by Haman that there was this ethnic group of lawbreakers in the kingdom who did not keep the king's laws, and they need to be executed. Now, when it's put like that, you think, well, yeah, it's probably right, isn't it? If these are troublemakers, we need to get rid of them. It would be reasonable to expect that at that point, though, questions surely would be asked and no doubt Haman was anticipating that and so he quickly added before any questioning oh by the way I'll I'll make it financially rewarding for you and of course as mentioned that the amount of money he was talking about was several billion dollars in today's world uh, that he would put into the king's account and here I feel is, is such an application for us isn't it how important it is to thoroughly investigate the information that comes to us. The warning is summed up in Proverbs eighteen seventeen. The first one to plead his case seems right until his neighbour comes and examines him. Many people are very athletic. A lot of athletic people in the world. They spend their time jumping to conclusions. And here's a case of that. He'd heard this information, he jumped to the conclusion and was, uh, uh, enabled himself to be manipulated to, to sign the death warrant for you know, thousands, probably millions of Jews. But he'd never investigated it himself. He hears from the neighbour, or if, if he had heard from the neighbour, he would have gained a fuller picture. And he may have come to the point of saying, hey, this is, this is crazy. And so now he's sort of stuck in this point and Esther continues on in verse 6. He said, well, the adversary and the enemy of this is this wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen and I'm sure he was. That's a bit of an understatement, isn't it? The king realized, man, this is nuts. Who on earth would do such a thing? And said, well, the author of this whole thing is the fellow here, Haman. Haman, of course, hears this, he's freaking out. Esther exposed the truth about Haman. He was not a faithful servant of the king at all, but he was instead an adversary and he was an enemy, uh, more interested in his own fame and status than the benefit of the king. Haman never imagined that Esther was a Jew, and now he stood before the king being rightly accused of plotting the murder of the king's wife. (laughs) Put that into a different context, doesn't it? And so now the wisdom of Esther's strange request to invite Haman to these banquets can be seen. It maximized the impact, didn't it? Upon both the king and upon Haman himself. Interesting too that the, the, the gap between the, the two banquets is when, you know, we had that whole thing came in, Haman coming into the or the the king you know hearing about Mordecai and his um, uh, previous exposing of a plot of assassination and so on. And so we get to verse seven. Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther, pleading for his life well he saw that evil was determined against him by the king and when the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was then the king said will he also assault the queen while I'm in the house as the word left the king's mouth they covered Haman's face Mm -hmm. so you just picture that scene isn't it dramatic you know the the, the king gets up he's just full of rage He is so wound up he's sort of got to just go outside and get some fresh air and he's wandering around outside thinking, what nurse is gonna do? What a crazy thing and, and uh, he's going through all this whole drama. In the meantime, there's Haman, he's back, you know, shaking in his boots and he's pleading before Esther a- and obviously how how it looks when he come, when the king comes back in, he thinks, What are you doing, man? He's trying to even sort of uh, assault my wife. And so things go from bad to worse and then they put this this cloth over his face. Now, once that happens it's all over in that culture uh, <laughs> what it meant is that there's it's it's good night rover you know it 's all over for you, matey, because you get the cloth over the face uh it's the concept that you no longer are able to look at the king, and the only th- next step for you is death so that's the final act you know if you've got the a bit different today isn't it you know put a cloth over your face there's a reason probably, but um in this case uh th- there was no other way around it and obviously the way the king had, had, had communicated and everything here when they say they covered Haman's face it would have been the others who were around him the servants and other attendees and whatever they recognize that that this is the time now to act and so uh, this was basically a death sentence the king was no doubt filled with Ross, Ross because he now realized that that Haman had played him for a dupe in getting this decree to kill the Jews, in effect, he'd been sucked in. And all of Haman's pleading, he only got himself into deeper trouble. Now, Habanah, verse 9. One of the eunuchs, so that's one of the attendants, said to the king, Look, the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. When the king said, Then the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows. He had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. (laughs) So he he was pretty wound up, wasn't he? As in the case of the people executed back in chapter 2, Haman was probably not hanged with a rope around his neck but was impaled on the stake. We mentioned that previously. uh, Haman had made this for Mordecai. But he found his end on the same instrument he had intended for the death of Mordecai. We read in Psalm 7 how God often works his way and we should pray as the psalmist did, Behold, the wicked bring forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crowd and on his own crown and so you know, indeed that's what happened here isn't it perhaps the greatest example of this was when Satan thought that he won by getting the, the, the crowd to crucify Jesus but the cross turned out to be an instrument of his, de- his defeat the death of a substitute interesting how it satisfied the wrath of the king at the death of Haman the, the king the wrath was gone in the case of Mordecai and Haman it was the guilty dying in place of the innocent in the case of us Jesus is a matter of the innocent dying in the place of the guilty what happens after this well and we see in chapter 8 on that day King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman the enemy of the Jews Mordecai came before the king for Esther had told him how he was related to her so the king took off his signet ring which he had taken from Haman and gave it to Mordecai and Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman and so Haman you know this guy who had seemingly achieved everything he ended up with nothing nothing even to pass on to his family one might say that he he climbed the ladder of success but found the the ladder was leaning on the wrong building instead of living his life at the conclusion of Solomon. So here's a guy who'd been there and done that and and speaking from a point of of wisdom and understanding but also experience, Solomon uh, makes this note in the Ecclesiastes, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. (laughs) You know, here's Solomon, he's got all this wealth of of stuff to, to bring forward and he says, let's hear the conclusion of all this and he says this, fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all." For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so there's the words of Solomon. Someone who'd been there and done that many times over. Someone who had knowledge and wisdom. Someone who had experience. Someone who had everything available to him. And he gets to that point and says, hey, this is what you need to do. Fear God. Keep his commandments. Do what's right in God's sight and leave the results in his hand. And Mordecai surely did that. Well, the account continues on. Esther spoke again to the king in verse 3 and fell down at his feet and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite And the scheme which he had devised against the Jews and the king held out the golden scepter towards Esther so Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, so, you know, quite a statement, isn't it? Let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hammedatha the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all of the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that will become of my people, or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen you see this is all very well so far you know Haman's gone he's history but the problem still remains like well that's good to get rid of him but there's a law now that's been passed everyone's still going to be wiped out just the same as it was uh, the day before when Haman was still with us and so it's asked that the previous decree uh, would be revoked you know, just remove it. Can you just get rid of this law? We might perhaps might have expected that request to come earlier, when she was she first invited uh, the king. However, she approached this request in stages. Haman was defeated for sure. The decree of the of the king still stood against the Jews what's going to happen. Verse uh, verse 7 King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, indeed I've given Esther the house of Haman and they've hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring for whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. So the king's scribes were called at that time. In the third month, which is the month of Sevan, and the 23rd day, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and the princes of the provinces, from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all, to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language. You look at the detail that's coming out here. And to the Jews in their own script and language, and he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, sent letters by the couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses, bred from swift steeds uh, by these letters, the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both children and women, and to plunder their possessions on one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. In the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province and published for all people so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers who rode on royal horses went out, hastened and pressed on by the king's command, and the decree was issued in the Shushan, Shushan the citadel. Now, pretty extensive, the, 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 you know, what the detail is surrounding this. The king, he couldn't revoke his previous decree. This is kind of interesting. He was bound by the law that he'd created. Now, this was in contrast to, to the Babylonian kingdom. The, the, that, that head of gold you know the first real world power uh, and Nebuchadnezzar in particular you know that he could make a law and he could just change it at will but every kingdom after that didn't ha- have quite that power they were bound by their own laws remember Darius Darius the meat and Daniel and the lines then that all happened because you know he couldn't change the law Darius was up all night worried about it and You know, he said, well, hey, God bless you, God will protect you, Daniel. (laughs) Daniel said, well, great, but I'm still in the lion's den. Now, the king wanted to get him out, but he couldn't legally. Uh, Interesting the amount of faith that Darius had (laughs) uh, at that time for for Daniel. Uh, But he couldn't get him out. He he was bound by that law, and that's what happened after the Babylonian Empire, that the, the various kings were bound by their own laws. Uh, if that was Nebuchadnezzar at that time, he say, oh, well, forget that, change that law, and let's let's not do that." Uh, but now they can't do that. So Heshbosheth is bound by this law that he's made, and so he allows them to m- the Jews to make another law, basically allowing them to defend themselves. So, so the the, the problem is solved. You could say not by compromising, um, <coughs> but by allowing their own to protect themselves so the couriers rode the, on the horses they went out the message got out you could say today your, all your alerts and alarms and everything's going off in your in your phone with all these messages that bang 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 you know this is what's going to happen uh, whatever it is in, on the day uh, here it was uh, riding on horses and taking out this message to all their provinces uh, there was a time when it was the town crier, you know, hear ye, hear ye, yeah, yeah, and would be uh, given the message. Uh, today it's all a bit different, but the same concept. The message is going out far and wide. Kind of interesting, we might think of Haman as in the place of, of even our enemy, our, our, our enemy, Satan. And we await the day God puts him away, don't we? But we still have to deal with the, the righteous decree of God that, that demands death. Through, because of sin Ezekiel the soul who sins shall die and so in our sins we not only have an enemy Satan but we also have a, a legal decree from a righteous God as well a righteous God even against us because sin brings death and so we're, we're stuck with that but God solves the problem he solves the problem not by, uh, but, uh, but he fulfills justice in the taking of the punishment that we deserve and his counter decree, you might say, saves us that we might be just. We might be justified by him. Paul in Romans three twenty-six that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. And so there is a decree that's gone out, saying, "Hey, well, sin will bring death." So God doesn't just change that and say, "Oh no, sin won't bring death." Rather, he provides the means by which death or by sin that is dealt with, and that's through Jesus Christ. Well, Mordecai went out from the presence of the king, in verse 15, uh, in royal apparel of blue and white and the great crown of gold and the garment of fine linen and purple, and the city of Shushan, rejoiced and was glad, notice. God purpose in all of these matters. It goes further than just the, the sparing of the Jews from destruction. It also purpose in the raising up of Mordecai, essentially as prime minister, a replacement for Haman. Interesting, the joy of the people. Verse 16, the joys had light and gladness, joy and honour. They saw this and they recognised, this is good. We can be thankful for this. There was something about this whole thing that that the the people recognised that this is the right thing to do. Uh, They they understood what had gone on and and recognised that there's good here. The joy came before the actual day, though. The day that was appointed was still a time off. The Jews would be attacked, yet able now to defend themselves. Nevertheless, because of the the decree of the king, they can be assured of victory. So they're rejoicing now ahead of time. In the same way, our course is not yet run. Our salvation is not yet complete. We can rejoice because of our confidence in our king. Paul writes, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's saying that, well, that, that work's begun. The full completion of what Christ has begun in your life as a follower of, of Christ, as a born-again believer, will, will ultimately be experienced further down the track. But position, you know, positionally, it's, it's already happened, but we haven't experienced that yet. But we, we look forward to it, and we know by the character and nature of God that it will happen and we can rejoice how many people have gone to a rugby game and rejoiced before the kickoff uh, that your team's going to win <laughs> you all have haven't you and you, how you've been disappointed when man i can't believe it we did we were you know we were we were sure better to, to win but we we lost there's no guarantee is there Surely the All Blacks were going to win the other day. ended up in the draw. Surely that's just not right, is it? But we can rejoice at what God has declared to us. We can rejoice that, yes, we're not only just saved now, we're saved for eternity. And that day is yet to come. And so the, joy, the Jews here were rejoicing in what was ahead. Uh, they knew that, hey, we can be thankful now for what is still yet to come uh, on the, in that particular environment where they are now able to defend themselves. And so, in every province, verse 17, and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. And many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. Isn't that interesting? They saw God working on behalf of his people and and there was something about that. They wanted that same relationship with God. They recognized there's something more here that we don't have. You know, here we are worshiping these, you know, stone idols and wooden images or whatever it is, lighting incense and so forth so on and so forth, but this is kind of not really doing it. There's something about these Jewish people and their God that connects. And whatever it is, that's what I want. May we also be witnesses, faithful witnesses of Christ. That a person might look upon us and think, well, I I don't know what it is with that person. You know, I don't necessarily agree with them, but there's something about them and their God and and what it is I want. You know, and and the best way for that to happen is for our hearts to be truly open for God to work in that as a person looks at us, they might see that characteristic of Christ, because that's what attracts. If Christ is removed out of the way, then it's only things of the flesh that might attract or repel. But if, if Christ has free work in our lives, he is the one who draws. And so it continues on, Verse nine, uh, chapter 9, we see this. We see some victory now in the, in the 12th month, that is in the month of Adar. So you know, down the track, on the 13th day, the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed. And on the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred. And that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. The Jews gathered together in the cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. No one could withstand them because fear of them fell upon all people. All the officials of the provinces, the satraps, governors, all those doing the king's work, they helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's palace and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For this man Mordecai became increasingly prominent. Thus the Jews defeated all the enemies with the stroke of the sword, with slaughter and destruction, and did what they pleased with those who hated them. So kind of pretty brutal and raw, isn't it? The Bible pulls no punches in how it records life. And indeed they are fighting for their life. How many times have... People, you know, th- we see that the hatred of the Jews is, is obviously still happens ever more. happens today. And it's not necessarily because that the Jews are bad, it's not, let to s- not to say that everything they do is go- good or right, but it's because it's a testimony of God. Mm-hmm. And as long as the Jewish nation exists, it's a testimony to the enemy that his plans have failed. And you can be sure that there will be, poli- be people who just hate the Jews because it's a spiritual battle. There'll be people who hate a Christian because it's a spiritual battle. The Jews still had their enemies, even though uh, now they had the ability to defend themselves. There was no command to go and destroy the Jews, that, it, that they could they could defend themselves, and no doubt those who realised that was the case said, well, hey, that's fine, we've got no problem with them. Yet they still had those who would want to wipe them out. We have indeed our own enemies, don't we, to deal with? But with the King of Kings, we have no reason to fear. Paul again in Romans eight: What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? There comes a point we just have to, 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 you know, bite into what God has done. That that He is, He indeed will hold us in the in in the time. Uh, perhaps of extreme. Verse 9, and In Shushan, the citadel, the, 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 kill, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. Pashandessa, Delphon, Pasa, adria Adriatha, Kamasha, there's a whole lot of names there. Um, the ten sons of Hamath, the son of Hamadetha, the enemy of the Jews, they killed, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. They didn't take the booty. They didn't take the gold. At the king's invitation, Esther also asked for a a complete defeat of all the enemies of the Jews, as it continues on on that day in in, uh, the next verse, the number of those who were killed in Shushan the citadel was brought to the king, and the king said to the queen, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in Shushan the citadel, the 10 sons of Haman, what have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? And what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. So this is happening, and the king is still on board with it. What is your further request? It shall be done. And Esther said, If it pleases the king, let it be granted to the Jews who are in Shushan to do again tomorrow, according to today's decree. And let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. And the king commanded this to be done. The decree was issued in Shushan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. And the Jews who were in Shushan gathered together again on the 14th day of the month of Adar and killed 300 men at Shushan they did not lay a hand on the plunder the remainder of the Jews in the king's provinces gathered together and protected their lives had rest from their enemies and killed 75,000 of their enemies but they did not lay a hand on the plunder it was on the 13th day of the month of Adar and on the 14th day of the month they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness and so well heavy heavy stuff many have criticised Esther for this saying it shows a complete lack of love toward their enemies, toward her enemies. Yet she displays the same principle found so often in Joshua. She would not settle for less than total victory. Interesting, isn't it, that Haman and his sons were descendants of the ancient Amalekites. Who were they? Well, God commanded Saul, the son of Kish, to execute the full extent of God's judgment against the Amalekites. It's all failed. And here we go, later, the descendants of the tribe of Benjamin, a son of Kish, named Mordecai, repeated God's judgment against the Amalekites. You know, <laughs> this is a lesson there, isn't it, there? That, that often we need to put the enemy to death because he'll come back again. And whatever that enemy might be, maybe it's something in our lives that we need to get a handle on them and put away. And we see that whole story about the uh, Amalekites and and Agag and so on, uh, a reminder that if we don't deal with some of those things in our lives, they will come back. And here, in this case, many years down the track, uh, God accomplishes his degree through Mordecai. And so this day of uh, celebration known as, as uh, Purim, verse 18, the king, the Jews who were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day, as well as on the 14th and on the 15th of the month, they rested and made a day of feasting and gladness. The Jews of the villages who dwelt in the unwalled town celebrated the 14th day of the month of Adar with gladness and feasting as a holiday and were sending presents to another. And so, um, what started now is, is the Feast of Purim, a feast that is still had uh, and, and observed by the Jews. As Mordecai the Jew and, the, and Queen Esther had, had prescribed for them, they had, had decreed for themselves and their descendants that concerning all of these matters, uh, their fasting and their lamenting and the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim and it was written down in the book. And so uh, that, those, those few verses, I won't read them all, but that establishes the Feast of Purim. The principle of remembering God's deliverance. The idea of doing that is good, isn't it? We too often forget his works. And, and that was the, the point of this Feast of Purim, that they might remember how God had delivered the nation. Do we do the same? There are times we need to just pause and, and, and think, well, thank you, thank you, Lord, for, for saving me. the epilogue in verse is in chapter 10 the king ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and on the islands of the sea all the acts of his power and his might the account of the, the greatness of mordecai to which the king advanced him are they not written in the book of chronicles the kings of media and persia mordecai the jew was second to king ahasuerus and was great among the jews and well received by the multitude of his brethren seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen And so we see there the the concluding matter uh, of this fascinating book of Esther. The book of Esther shows how the hand of God can move in in supernaturally natural ways. Have you thought about that? You see, so often we think because God is a supernatural God and and, and created life, we think he must work, surely, in, in spectacular supernatural ways. And we're looking for that. We're looking for the supernatural. And sure, God is supernatural. He can do and perform supernatural or acts that are obviously something more than just natural, but he can also, and I believe more times than often, work through the natural. It was Spurgeon who said this, It has been well said that the book of Esther is a record of wonders without a miracle. And therefore... Though equally revealing the glory of the Lord, it sets it forth in another fashion from that which is displayed in the overthrow of Pharaoh by miraculous power. you know that those those plagues and all that, that was pretty spectacular. Opposed to that, we see the same God working in a miraculous way, but not so obvious here in the book of Esther. So you think about all these things that God arranged in the the story of Esther as we've gone through it. Firstly, God arranged for for, for Queen Vashti to lose her place. Was that coincidence? We've touched on this in in this passage. Or was it providence? God arranged for a competition to replace that Queen Vashti. He arranged for Esther to enter the competition. Someone, you know, an orphan from an obscure place, God arranged special favour for Esther among all the other women God arranged for Mordecai to have access to both Esther and the affairs of the kingdom God arranged the lot that was cast to give 11 months warning before that event of of execution God arranged the decree that the Jews be killed by what was done by private hands it's an interesting little point rather than the army you see, if it had been the army that had the decree, it would have been more difficult to stop. God arranged that Haman restrained his anger and not kill Mordecai immediately. Remember, he really got raged at, at, at when, back there in chapter 5. God arranged for Esther to delay her request, first asking for a banquet with the king, then another banquet. And, of course, during that time we had the, uh, the king... Um, not sleeping and reading. God arranged for Haman's anger to come uh, to a peak on one particular day. He arranged for Ahasuerus to have a sleepless night. He arranged for Ahasuerus to pick up a certain book on that sleepless night. (laughs) Read me a story, someone, I need to get back to sleep. Read me some history, that'll put me out. But that didn't happen, it had the opposite effect. God arranged for Ahasuerus to read the passage about Mordecai in that particular book on that particular night. God's hand in history never rules out our actions, though. The actions of Esther and Mordecai were critical to the preservation of the people of God. God's will is accomplished, but here's the thing. Men are perfectly free agents. You see, you look at these people involved here. Haman, he did as he pleased, didn't he? We look at Ahasuerus, the king, he did what he wanted. So did Mordecai and and, and Esther. We see no interference. We see no coercion. Can't sort of blame it on some other force influencing. They were free agents. They did their own will, and they also bear full responsibility. Yet God works out a central plan through all of this. And so there it is. Man, he's a free agent, isn't he? He's a free agent in what he does. He's responsible for his actions. He, he's guilty when he does wrong and, and, and punished accordingly. If he, but if he, he's lost, he, he receives the blame as well. But here is also is God who, who rules over all, who without complicity in, in, in this and makes even the actions of the wicked to, to serve his own means. If you believe these two truths, as Spurgeon says, you will see them in practical agreement in daily life, though you will not be able to devise a theory for harmonizing them on paper. (laughs) So what he's touching on then is the age-old debate of the sovereignty of God versus the free will of man. How does that work? If you can figure that out, come and tell me. Because everyone's been trying to figure that out, out ever since day one. Because we see in this book, they all acted according to their own desires, but they fulfilled the will of God. So God in his wise and providential plan, he allows his people to be tested, sometimes severely. We must not suppose that the servants of God will be protected from every trial because the trials are part of God's design. It was a great trial for Mordecai, he refused to bow down to Haman, and and others would suffer for for that refusal. It was a great trial for Esther. She heard the news of the, of the coming slaughter of her people, and he had to sort of boldly approach the king to make that appeal. Just want to read a few things out Of uh, <coughs> it was Warren Warren Wearsby who makes these comments on this on this thought these thoughts. Putting all this into, into perspective, let us think about this. God has divine purposes to accomplish in this world. God's purposes involved the Jewish nation as well as the Gentile nations of the world. They involved the church. Now, within those groups, God uh, essentially accomplishes his purpose through through people and through individuals. His purposes touch the lives of kings and queens and common people, godly people, wicked people. Nothing in this world is outside the influence of the purposes of God. Now, for reasons we fully don't don't understand, God permits evil people to do evil things in this world, but he can also work in and through those people and through his own people to accomplish his purposes. While he was not the author of Alexerxes' sins, God permitted the king's drunkenness and foolishness in dis- disposing the queen Vashti. Uh, he used that the, the king's loneliness to place Esther on the throne, and he will use the king's sleeplessness to reward Mordecai and start to overthrow the power of Haman. God is sovereign. God will accomplish his purpose even though, even if his servants refuse to obey. If Esther rejected the will of God for her life, God would still save his people. But Esther would be the loser. If we refuse to obey God, <coughs> he can abandon us or we can get someone else to do the job. Uh, we will lose the reward and the blessing, or he can discipline us until we surrender to his will. Two examples. Come to mind, Jonah, obviously, is one, um, and also John Mark left the mission field, returned home, and Timothy was raised up. God isn't in a hurry, and that's often the problem we have. God isn't in a hurry, it seems, to fulfill his plans. In due time, God will work it out, but we're the ones that offer in a hurry, and we want to push and shove. God waited until the third year of the king's reign before taking Vashti off the throne. If we put this into time frame, he waited another four years before putting Esther on the throne. Not until the king's twelfth year did God allow Haman to hatch his evil plot. And he decreed that the crisis day for the Jews would be almost a year away. When you read through the book, it seems like all these things are happening, bang, 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 and life's so spectacular, but it's actually quite a bit of time there. The fact that God is sovereign, he's in control, doesn't suggest sort of fatalism, so sera, surah, whatever will be, will be kind of idea. But rather, only a sovereign God is great enough to decree freedom of choice for us all. And only a sovereign God could fulfill his purpose in this world and even make evil cooperate in producing good. Only God can do that. Maybe this reminds us to the day in which we live to never stop praying for for those around us and authority over us. Never stop praying for the government. Pray for those in positions of power upholding the law or making laws, that they would be influenced by godly people and and somehow, just as Mordecai influenced Esther, who influenced the king. But last of all, let each of us rejoice that we have a guardian near the throne. You see, every Jew in Shushan must have also felt hope when they remembered that the queen was a Jew right next to the throne. Hey, today, let us be glad that, that our mediator, Jesus, is also exalted. Uh, the one who is mediating on our behalf. The one who is saying, well, yeah, I know he's he's, he, he's not the, the flashest, but hey, he, he's he's saved by the blood of Christ. I died for them." We have a mediator in Jesus Christ. Let us be glad in that. And let us think about the issues that are going on in our lives and in, in the world that, that God has this. God ultimately is in control, and he will work his purposes out in our lives and in the lives around us. Let us be aware of the, the, the evils, for sure. Let us do what we can to uh, address them. But let us have a bigger picture of God, that he is in control. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for just a reminder that uh, you were sovereign. You are sovereign in in that your will will be accomplished. But Lord, that you also give us a free will. And that free will starts with a response to the message that you give. If anyone believes. That message was, was given in the most famous verse in the Bible. God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believe in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Lord, I pray that, that that message has been received by each person here, but if there is anyone who hasn't, anyone who cannot say, yes, I do believe Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, I do receive that. I am a sinner, but through Christ you offer salvation. Lord, I pray that you would bring that clarity of thought to that to that mind and heart today. I thank you, Lord, that you have our lives in your hands, not just now, but eternity. And like the Jews were, we're rejoicing before before the day, uh, we can also do the same. We can rejoice today for that which is yet ahead. I well, thank you that you give us the taste of your presence in our lives now. May our joy be f- indeed full. We ask now, Lord, as we just conclude in this time of worship, that you would take the truths and and the points that are through it, s- scattered through this book of Esther, Lord. That those nuggets of truths would 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 embed themselves in our deepen our, our thoughts in our our, our our conscious in our mind, in our heart. Lord, may Your Spirit indeed work deeply in us, and may this day be a day of as it was for the Jews, of joy, of gladness, of a heart filled of thankfulness to you as we we're reminded of what you have done. And may we go forward from, from this place just rejoicing and looking forward to what you have in our lives. We just ask now, Lord, invade the, habit, the, the praises of your, of your people as we just give thanks to you now for what you have done, what you are doing and what you will accomplish uh, in our lives and in eternity, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's just give thanks and praise and worship and uh, in song as we just conclude and just allow God maybe to just crystallize something in our hearts that, we've, that he is wanting to do in our lives today.